Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, folks. Uh, welcome to Season 4 of uh, Wisdom of Friends. I'm your host, Cal Ross, And today, I'm really excited to be introducing you to a good friend of mine. His name is Earl Bell. Earl is the author of Winning in Baseball and Business, Transforming Little League Principles into Major League Profits for Your Company. He's a member of the National Speakers Association and is a past president of the NSA Northwest Chapter. He also serves on the board of Snoqualmie Valley Chamber of Commerce. Friends, Earl really is passionate about helping company owners and business leaders who want to learn how to compete and win in the game of business. Seeing your company from a unique perspective comes easy to Earl because with tens and thousands of hours of business and leadership experience, he identifies opportunities and obstacles that others do not. In this episode, Earl and I would discuss the art of public speaking, identifying your superpower and how to pursue your passion, and the importance of coaching and thinking outside the box. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Earl Bell. Good afternoon, uh, Earl. Welcome to the Wisdom of Friends show. I'm really excited that you took the time to be on this program. And let me start off with my first impressions of you. And this was almost six months ago when we met at the NSA Pacific Northwest uh, meetup in uh, Mercer Island. And when I kind of learned about your background as to how you've combined your uh, experience of uh, Little League Baseball with business and uh, it was just amazing and fascinate, fascinating that we, uh, I thought he would be such a v- amazing guest on the show. So I'm so glad uh, that uh, you took the time to be on the program. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Cal. And uh, thank you for inviting me. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. So one of the ways uh, we kick off our show is by asking our guests with a simple yet profound question. And that is, what is your favorite quote or philosophy that you live by? And how have you applied it to your life? Hmm, that's a good question. And I, I guess to answer it, I'd go back to a book that I wrote back in 2012, uh, which was entitled Winning in Baseball and Business, Transforming Little League Principles into Major League Profits for Your Company. And the quote or philosophy that I try to live by is to define win, whatever that may be for me, and then to go pursue it with passion. No, that is so great. And I and I want to kind of like touch upon that because uh, – Having researched your background and and you talk about like your little league experience and this was like when you were almost ten years old I believe uh, that your baseball coach gave you an important lesson that is business is a game and just like baseball you just need to know the rules and keep practicing and oh tell Cal us- you could look it at my website <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about that experience so th- that's a a great story actually um, I. 
grew up um, very comfortably, to, to be honest with you, in a small town called Anchorage, Alaska. And my father grew up during the Depression. And one of the values that he instilled in me very early, and this was at the age of 10, was that you know, the bank of dad was closed. And if I wanted something, I needed to figure out how to go make money to do it. And uh, we had this crazy idea in the neighborhood during the summertime. Everyone was selling lemonade for a nickel or whatever it was. And we had this crazy idea that we could create a taco stand and uh, go buy the materials and make a lot more money because you can sell tacos for a lot more than you can sell lemonade. In fact, you can sell lemonade and tacos. So, uh, you know, to make a long story short, we actually grossed um, about $33. And I was really happy because me and my partner slash next door neighbor, Brian, who I think was eight or nine at the time, uh, you know, we had $16.50 about to split. And it just so happens the, the Little League baseball glove that I wanted was $14. And uh, Ken Davis was his name, uh, my next door neighbor and, and Little League coach. He said, well, uh, you know, let me walk you through what an income statement is, guys. And let me walk you through what operating expenses are. And I'll never forget this, Cal. He, he put out a sheet of paper and, and wrote down the cost of the shells and the meat and, you know, the cost of the paper to do the flyers and even charged us for his labor. And by the time we were all done, I think Brian and I each had $2.81. And that's when I learned that the top line did not equal the bottom line. Uh, <laughs> that at the age of 10. Well, that is such a great story. And, you know, it's an important lesson for us to learn as to, you know, what the net profits and the gross profits are. It's, uh, it's an important uh, equation for business people to kind of like keep in mind, uh, especially people who are starting out in the in the world of business. Uh, now, I understand that uh, today you work with company owners and leaders uh, on how to compete and win in the game of business. You're really essentially a business coach in addition to a speaker. But prior to that, and I want to get into that as we uh, talk further, but what I'm curious about is uh, you've had a phenomenal career as an executive in the domain of finance. So is that something that uh, you always knew you wanted to do or how did that uh, story unfold for you in terms of, you know, I believe you went graduated out of Seattle University. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I did. Um, and actually, going back to high school, I had a high school guidance counselor who essentially told me that I was pretty shy and not very good around people, and my writing skills were primitive and you know, a pretty withdrawn person. But I was really good at math, and they encouraged me to go into accounting because they thought that might be a good career choice for me. Uh, so that's what I did. Went to Seattle U, got a degree in accounting, and went to go work for an accounting firm. And then, you know, as time goes on and uh, careers progress, I ended up serving as CFO for a number of companies for about 18 years. Right. And you lived in uh, Alaska for a little while and then before moving back to uh, Seattle, right? Yeah. Went to school uh, at Seattle U and then after graduating, uh, moved back up to Alaska for about four years, I want to say three or four years, and then moved back to, uh, to the Seattle area for good in 1989 and have been here ever since. Great. So now that you are a professional speaker, and you were also uh, the president of the NSA chapter here in the Pacific Northwest uh, in 2015 to 16, I believe. So how did that transition happen for you? Did that something, is that is that a story behind it? Or did you know that you wanted to kind of branch out into public speaking and coaching? Or what was the genesis of that? 
Well, it's kind of funny. Up until about 2009, I, I was pretty intentional about work and career and uh, thoughtful about how to grow um, you know, my profession and my skills and capabilities. And life really took a turn in 2009 in, in a great way. Uh, going back to 2003, I was CFO for a wealth management company and an investment management company in Seattle. And at the same time, got into coaching youth baseball. My my boys were six years old at the time. And you know, to make a very, very long story short, six years later, the boys were 12. And the select baseball team program that I was a part of, we sent two teams to the East Coast in 2009. Uh, One team went to the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and I took another group of boys the same week in August to Cooperstown, New York for a tournament at a place called Cooperstown Dreams Park. And it occurred to me at the end of this awesome week that the journey of helping a group of boys uh, grow and develop and become a team, a super team, if you will, over six years is really the journey that a lot of business owners and leaders take in taking a small company and creating something much uh, bigger and more profitable. So well, that was the genesis and idea for the book. And you know, after writing the book, people thought it was kind of interesting how you know I, I could use the analogy or the metaphor, if you will, of coaching Little League Baseball, uh, specifically select program baseball, and, and using that as a teaching tool for business owners that want to build a successful company. Now, that is so great. And uh, so it seems like uh, you leverage your life's experience and your uh, interest in baseball coaching and turned it into a passion that's, uh, that's helping uh, you serve uh, the community out there. So uh, for the benefit of the audience, uh, Earl Bell works with company owners and leaders uh, who want to learn and how to compete and win in the game of business. And uh, he's the author of Winning in Baseball and Business, Transforming Little League Principles into Major League Profits for your company. Uh, he's been a member of National Speakers Association and the past president of the NSA Northwest Chapter. So my next question to you uh, is, uh, you know, like, was there, and this is more about when you look back at your life up until now, you know, what would you say was uh, the breakthrough success moment for you? And what I mean by that is, you know, the turning point or, you know, life was never the same again moment when just, you know, this everything clicked and like that was that, that success moment that we sometimes experience in life. Did you have that moment or was it like a, uh, you know, group of small moments along the way? Yeah, I think I would point to a couple of moments, uh, you know, thinking about what you're saying. Anybody who graduates from college will understand this. Uh, you, you graduate from college, and at least for me, in the profession of accounting, uh, I was valued for you know, being able to work long hours and having an incredible stamina, but really uh, being able to learn technical skills as it related to very specific accounting rules and tax law. And you know, as careers progress and you move into a supervisory capacity and a manager capacity and a leader capacity and an executive capacity, you know, the longer your career grows, you start moving away from uh, technical skills being what you're valued for by a company and, and more so for your leadership capability and the ability to inspire and, and build teams. So that I think that progression was um, one thing that 
I think about as being a turning point, becoming that leader, uh, if you will. And frankly, I think that coaching youth sports for a number of years was helpful in that respect. And the other, uh, in a good way, and I think a lot of your listeners will totally understand what I'm saying, the migration from becoming an entrepreneur after being an employee for so many years, uh, you know, Ownership usually comes, equity comes with ownership in companies, but it's a little different than when you decide to fund your own startup and, and to build a company from scratch. And, you know, that, that was a turning point. And I've got to say, it, it always takes longer than you think, uh, more time, more money, but I never knew that it would be so fun and rewarding. No, that's such a great perspective. And, uh, you know, as you rightly pointed out, most of our listeners here are entrepreneurs and uh, uh, creative artists who are looking at launching their own business. So I think uh, this is definitely something that they'll find some inspiration from. Now, the next question that comes up is, uh, and oftentimes, you know, we have had some amazing uh, uh, guests on the show. And one of the things or one of the trends that we've noticed is most of these folks have experienced some incredible setbacks. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at it from, from an outside perspective, it may look like a failure. But for these people, they did not view this as a failure. In, in fact, they used it as a stepping stone for even greater successes. So my question to you is, what were one or two big challenges that you faced in your life and how did you overcome it? And what, and more importantly, what lessons uh, did those uh, challenges teach you that helped you navigate life going forward? It's funny how you phrase that question. Uh, a, f- a favorite failure that turned into a success. Uh, I'd have to point to the book that I ended up getting published in 2012. Uh, the idea, the inspiration came on August 29th, I want to say, 2009 in Cooperstown, New York, when, when I just realized that this incredible journey was the perfect metaphor. And I was all fired up. I hopped on the plane and re- remember thinking, I'm going to write the parable uh, to to end all parables. It was going to be the ultimate business book. And a, a little bit of self-doubt and self-confidence kind of crept in me. And, and I heard that high school guidance counselor telling me, you know, you're not a very good writer. And literally for two and a half years, I struggled. Uh, I don't think I got past two pages because of writer's block and uh, un- being able to unwrite a business book in a parable uh, way. And what I finally decided made more sense was, you know, if I was going to go on this journey of helping others uh, gain expertise and learn what I've learned and transform their companies, it probably made a lot of sense to invest the time to listen to what business owners are struggling with and identifying what uh, they what keeps them up at night. And, you know, what I've learned is that uh, it's a a lack of a clear vision, uh, a a lack of an effective marketing and differentiating plan. Uh, Companies struggling with, you know, how how do I build a super team of employees? You know, how do I reduce turnover and get everyone excited about the work that they're doing? And and ultimately, how do you make the game of business fun? Um, And once I understood what the reader wanted, then I started to build a 10-inning book that really fed uh, the desires of what people said they would want in a business book. So the, the failure for me was, you know, 
uh, call it an investment of two and a half years in figuring out what not to do. But uh, it really, the, the frustration culminated at a point where it really helped me focus on writing what I think ultimately was a much better book. No, that is uh, really incredible. And uh, and a couple of things I'm hearing from your share here, one being that oftentimes, you know, we all have these limiting beliefs that comes from indoctrination from a childhood, a culture, environment. And, uh, and like with you, it was about the teacher telling you that, you know, not a good writer. And that probably was one of your writing blocks. Yeah. And, and, I think what you did, and this is something that I, f- I think you did brilliantly, is taking the attention away from you and and focusing in on the market or what the audience needed or who the business owners were and what were their actual requirements. And uh, and so when you took the attention away from you and focused on your clients, on your customers, it kind of like started, uh, the solution emerged on its own. And it basically, uh, so that's that's one great way for listeners here is if you're looking at a problem, sometimes you may want to change the perspective or change the paradigm as to how you look at a problem. And because that could oftentimes lead to some incredible solutions. Now, that is so inspiring. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, and uh, and that brings up another question, uh, Earl, is, and that is, uh, who were your mentors growing up, and whom did you look up to, or you wanted to uh, emulate, or you know, is there anybody you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, uh, three quick shout outs. Um, my mother uh, really demonstrated compassion and kindness. Um, you know, my father. Uh, instilled in me, I think, uh, an ability to identify a goal and to work towards achieving the goal. And, you know, frankly, my little league coach uh, slash next door neighbor, Ken Davis, uh, what was really cool about him was he, he was a serial entrepreneur. He had a car dealership. He had a photo lab. Uh, he uh, did a little bit of farming, and what was really interesting about him was that every weekend he was in his garden and, and doing yard work, and that was his therapy. And it always amazed me how he would come up with these ideas and create businesses, hire employees, and have time for for himself and his family, and coach a couple of little league teams along the way while he was at it. Uh, that that was really it made a mark, obviously, in the way that I thought about what an adult. Uh, and living like an adult would be like. Yeah, no, that is so great. And uh, so I'm curious, so what did your parents do and uh, how did that shape your life? Uh, um, my mother uh, was a stay-at-home mom mm-hmm. and uh, probably the greatest stay-at-home mom in the history of the world. Uh, that's one person's opinion and I'm totally sticking with it. And <laughs> my father was an orthodontist. Uh, you know, we grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, or I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, I should say, and uh, I was there for the 1964 earthquake and uh, you know, surprisingly uh, lived through that. Uh, we lived right across the street from one of the pictures that you see a lot of times when you look back on the filmography of the 1964 earthquake, and people shouldn't have lived through that, but we did. Wow. That's, uh, that's really uh, fascinating. Uh, now, the other thing that I'm interested in is, uh, l- you know, doing, doing a little bit of a research. I understand you are a fly fishing uh, fan. And for the benefit of our audience, fly fishing is an angling method in which an artificial fly is used to catch the fish. So how did this interest and passion for fly fishing began for you? 
Well, I have twin boys, you know, the, the same young men that I coached nine years ago. They're 21 years old now. And the younger twin decided he wanted to go study at University of Montana in Missoula. And guess what? Uh, that area is, I think, one of the fly fishing capitals of the United States. And one of the reasons he chose that school specifically was fly fishing. So I took it up as an activity to be able to do with Carl mm. and uh, really find it therapeutic. That's, uh, uh, that's it's, it's really easy to get lost in the flow of a water mm-hmm. or a river. Absolutely. I, I totally hear you. Uh, and especially uh, with uh, this beautiful environment that we're blessed uh, with in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you know, it's water everywhere and it's just oh, yeah. uh, really, really soothing and relaxing. Absolutely. Uh, the other question that comes up is <clears throat> being an author now, is there, uh, other than your book, what books have you gifted or reread over the years? Uh, anything that comes to mind that you would like to recommend for our audience? I consistently go to two books. Uh, One is The Go-Giver, which Bob Berg wrote, and then another one called Getting Naked, which Patrick Lencioni wrote. Um, And I I think what binds the two books is that the authors really do a great job of encapsulating and sharing the, the value of giving as opposed to trying to get Mm. And focusing, in, instead of serving yourself, learning how to serve others. And philosophically, that's really uh, hit a close uh, place in my heart. And, you know, when I think about each day, I always think about, well, what can I do to help and support and inspire and teach? Uh, and, you know, what's the best way for me to go about doing that today? And, you know, if you went back a few years, it would be those books that I read, you know, around 2008, 2009, I want to say. That's so great. And uh, we'll include that in our show notes uh, as well. Now, the other question that uh, I'm curious about, Earl, is, uh, you know, having seen the ebb and flow of life, and having traveled and having experienced uh, a stint in corporate America and then starting your own business and also now being a coach, a business coach and a baseball coach and all these experiences, amazing experiences that you've had, what would you say is your definition of a successful life or a good life at this point in life? Uh, being able to contribute in a positive way to positively impact and influence the life of others, uh, to help people in specific in the world of business uh, figure out how to honor the heroes of our economy, the, the entrepreneur, the small business owner, build a, a company that really does a great job of serving the employees that work there, that does a great job of serving the clients, and ultimately serving uh, the owners who have invested their sweat equity in, in their life into building something. That is uh, really inspiring. And uh, it's really, I mean, it's the philosophy that I'm hearing underneath all of that is the uh, the giving aspect. It's like really making a contribution, making a difference for your customer, for your clients and to the community. That is really awesome. I really like it and uh, appreciate that. And then uh, the other question is and this is a hypothetical situation. Uh, mm-hmm. let's, let's say, you know, we had a time machine and if you could go back in time. And talk to your young self, let's say your 18 or 19-year-old self. What advice would you give him? Um, To be patient, 
to uh, be open to opportunities that pre- present themselves. And, you know, what I'm thinking through is, at least when I was growing up, I, I kind of had a pretty prescriptive idea of the, the path of my life. And, and I think being open to opportunities that present themselves would have served me and uh, taken me in different directions. Not that you know, my life uh, is bad in any way. In fact, I think it's been awesome. But, uh, you know, being patient, open for opportunities, and then once identifying an opportunity, being deliberate about uh, seizing the opportunity and, and uh, you know, giving it everything that you have. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that would be the advice. Uh, that's so great. Uh, so really, I mean, the two points that I'm hearing is being patient and then once and once you identified the opportunity, it's like giving it your all, like really yeah. playing full out. And uh, now that's that's uh, really inspiring and uh, f- awesome message right there. Uh, moving on to, we're going to switch switch gears here and uh, moving on to our next section. And these are some of the questions we have received from our audience. And uh, the first question I have for you is, in your opinion, what do you think stops people from achieving their full potential? Well, that's easy. There's 7.3 billion people in the world, and I know exactly who holds each person back from reaching their potential more so than anyone else in the world. And the answer is, you know, look in the mirror. Mm. It it amazes me how people get in their own way, and it's uh, the you know, poor self-talk, lack of self-belief, and the inability to take risk. And, you know, the the visual that comes to mind is somebody who's got their legs crossed and their arms crossed, and, and they're very tight and closed in, and that's what their comfort zone looks like. Yeah, and absolutely. And then everything that we desire or we want in life is really outside of our comfort zone. So what advice would you give someone who is struggling with self-doubt and self-confidence or, you know, looking to start a business? Uh, You know, they are doing pretty well in their corporate gig and they're looking at launching their own firm or launching their own uh, business venture, but are not really fully confident about, you know, what is it going to take or how is that journey going to look like? And they're sitting on the fence about that. So what, what, since you've done that journey yourself, moving from the bridging the corporate as well as having your own business, what advice could you give to somebody uh, who might be in a similar situation? Yeah, I I guess the first piece of advice would be to identify your superpower. Uh, You know, companies don't want to hire Clark Kent. They want to hire Superman. Uh, They want to hire Wonder Woman, not Diana Prince. And and figuring out what you do really well, probably better than most people that profess to do what you do, would be step number one. And then I think to give yourself the confidence to go out and – achieve your full potential, the the mind shift that I would offer is it's really helpful to recognize that your business is really not about you. And at the end of the day, what your, your business is, is a vehicle to serve clients, to enrich their lives, to provide value. And for entrepreneurs that build a company and hire employees, you know, I'd like to call it the smile to frown ratio. If I go visit a company and I see a lot of frowns around in the office, you know, the owner probably could invest a little time figuring out how to turn those frowns into smiles and and create a thriving workplace so that the employees can actually deliver the awesome client experience that they come to expect. And when you start focusing on your clients and your employees and make it less about you, it becomes a lot easier a lot easier. 
Yeah, so really the two things being, you know, identify your superpower and identify what you're really, really good at or could be great at. And then uh, it's about serving the customer. The business exists to serve your clients, to serve your customer. And uh, that's really a very important message. Uh, The next question is, what was the best piece of advice you've received uh, in life or business? The best piece of advice um, to take baby steps. Hmm. Uh, you know, one of the little tricks that I do, I, I've got an online calendar, and I'll define success for the day. And I, I've got a friend, David Brooke, and he, he likes to say, uh, you know, Earl, if I asked you to walk a mile today, could you do it? Yeah. And, you know, if I asked you tomorrow to walk a mile, could you do it? And so on and so on and so forth. Uh, pretty easy to walk a mile a day. But he said, Earl, if I on December 31st asked you to walk 365 miles, could you do it? I go, what are you, crazy? <laughs> and uh, the point that he was making is if you take baby steps along the way, it's really easy to make some amazing progress in a short amount of time. And a lot of people get focused on the big, hairy, audacious goal, and they just don't know how to get there. No, yeah, that's a good point. And it's really about, you know, breaking it down into smaller components. And that mm-hmm. makes it easier to kind of like get your arms around it and and makes it even doable and conceivable that you can do it. And yeah. uh, that's a, really a good point. Uh, the other question that comes up is, uh, what's the best investment of time or resource you've made in life so far? Uh, anything comes to mind? Um, I invest in myself. Uh I uh, like to attend conferences and and learn from other uh, coaches and trainers. I I think in terms of self-help, I will invest an hour every morning, um, either reading a book or listening to a podcast or checking out a website, reading a white paper. Just, I, I guess what you could say is I've got a unquenchable thirst for knowledge and figuring out uh, if, if I were to, elevate my game and get better at what I'm doing or become a better human, a better parent, a better spouse, uh, a better friend, you know, what types of things could I bring to myself so that the best person, uh, best version of myself could, uh, you know, present itself to the rest of the world uh, and, and really being intentional about that an hour a day for self-improvement. I think that's the best investment I've made. That's uh, so great. Self-care, self-renewal, and really uh, constant and never-ending improvement in terms of knowledge and really uh, putting those mental nutrients in play. Uh, oh, that's so, good. I like that. Yeah. No, that's yeah. really, really great. And then uh, the, other, the other question is, uh, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn? The lesson that took the longest to learn... Patience. Mm. Patience. Uh, It always takes about one and a half to two times longer than I think to get something done. And at the end of the day, you know, the deadline is an arbitrary date on a calendar imposed by me. And by not hitting the calendar at the end of the day, the only person that really cares is me. So I just need to be a little kinder to myself. Mm, I like that. No, it's really a really good point. And then uh, the other question is, uh, 
you know, what do you do to bolster your own confidence every day? Is there a particular ritual or practice that you do or anything that helps you like really uh, perform at your peak every day? You know, if I ever get down on myself, and trust me, that very, very rarely happens, I'll pick up the phone and uh, chat with the client and ask them how working with me has positively impacted their life. And I'll, I'll get things like, well, first of all, I'm not working as much. B, I'm making more money. Uh, C, I've got more confidence in what I'm doing. And D, it's a lot more fun. And, and E, thank you. And, you know, a couple of calls like that and, you know, the, the affirmation from people that I, I live to serve is, is all the self-confidence booster that I need. No, that is really, uh, that's a beautiful and it's a very effective uh, suggestion that you provided right here because most of the answers we've gotten so far is to read an inspirational book and, you know, it's really about doing something. But in, uh, what you're sharing here is a little out of the box thinking is call your client, call your customer and get their perspective. And that can really, really, I can see how that can have such a positive impact on our confidence levels. No, that is uh, just amazing. Thank you for that. Sure. Um, and then uh, moving on to our next section, and this is really about, uh, you know, the business of speaking, the art of speaking. And I know you've been uh, a professional speaker for many years, and you're also uh, the past president of the NSA Northwest chapter. So my question to you is, uh, having watched many speakers, phenomenal speakers speak, uh, being a professional speaker yourself, what would you say is the art of creating an impactful speech or delivering a good message or presentation? Uh, like, if you had to you know, sum it up in like three to five points, what would you say? I think the best speakers have a way of touching the heart. Uh, you know, the reality is, depending on whatever research study you look at, about 98 to 99% of what's said is forgotten within four days after hearing a speech or attending a workshop. You know, that, that's pretty lousy to put, uh, you know, 100 words out there and having 98 to 99 of them be forgotten or 100 points and, you know, having 98 points forgotten. Uh, the, the best speakers find a way to touch the heart and attach a story uh, with a lesson so that when uh, four or five days leave, they'll remember the story and they'll remember how the story impacted their heart and they'll go, oh yeah, and then the learning lesson, the, the point that the speaker was making was this. Uh, so that's that's one element. I think another element that's really important is the the best speakers today inspire others to act and, mm. and better themselves and better their lives. And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about information these days, you know, I can go to YouTube or I can go to Google and I can, you know, get anybody's information. I, I could go into a search engine and get whatever information I want at, at my fingertips. And I can pretty much go watch any speaker that I want in, in the world. But if digesting information doesn't cause me to act, I've wasted my time. And as an audience member, if an audience member listens to a keynote and then leaves and nothing changes in their life as a result, uh, in, in my opinion, the speaker's done a disservice to the audience. Mm. 
That's such a great point. So really, the couple of things I'm hearing is, one, inspire the audience to take action and then really uh, make sure that there is a message that touches their heart. Yeah. And uh, that's such a two very, very important points. Talking about keynote, and as I said earlier, most of our listeners here are uh, Toastmaster members around the globe. And... uh, You know, they are probably looking at becoming a pro speaker. So one of the challenges they run into is oftentimes there's a format uh, when it comes to Toastmasters, you know, they give five to seven or 10 to 12 minute speech. But the Mm -hmm. keynotes are 45 to 60 minutes long. What have you found in your experience that uh, it's an effective way to build a keynote around your speeches? What do you have a process that uh, you would like to share or what have you found it found to be uh, effective or useful? So uh, let's say in a keynote, you have five main points you want to make. Um, and let's say for each of the five points, you have two or three stories hmm. that are about two or three minutes long. Uh, so for each five, for each point, you would have, say, uh, on the short end, two stories. That would be four minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, three stories at three minutes would be nine minutes. So if you modularize, you can build a five-point speech that is as little as 10 minutes long or as long as 45 minutes long. And the only thing that you're doing is deciding which stories to include or not include. And a lot of times, speakers will show up to a conference, and the, the agenda's running long, and they say, I know we hired you for 45 minutes, can you do 25 because we're running short on time? And then speakers are on the fly having to figure out, okay, how am I going to deconstruct and strip out uh, content so that I can deliver a keynote and hit the five key points in a 25-minute versus a 45-minute key period? And that may be as simple as removing the third story under each of the five main points. No, that's uh, really a very, very important uh point that you just made it's really about uh, stories and then having a story for each point and you know having the ability to uh, take out the story if you don't need it depending on the constraints of time can really uh, help you uh, structure your speech now i like that that's really uh, a really an important aspect of a keynote uh the other thing that i'm curious about is what are the top things you wish you knew more about this business of speaking, you know, when starting out. I wish I'd known about National Speakers Association uh, before I did. Uh, you know, uh, you mentioned a lot of your listeners are members of Toastmasters, and a lot of members of NSA are Toastmasters as well. And, you know, the beauty of Toastmasters as an organization is you really do get a lot of great coaching and batting practice on um, developing a speech. NSA has been very helpful because it's an association of professionals, about 3,700 nationally with 37 chapters. Um, The Pacific Northwest is based in the Seattle area. Uh, 
the association exists to help individuals learn the business of speaking, the business model of speaking. Uh, you know, just to peel the curtain back a little bit, it surprised me to learn that about 17% of the 3,700 members in NSA, last I checked, uh, are actual keynote speakers. And the other 83% are workshop trainers, business coaches, consultants, and they use uh, speaking as part of their business model. Mm. Wow, I didn't know that either. No, that's that's yeah. very interesting. That's great. And then the other question that comes up is like, what's a typical life, a uh, typical day look like in the life of a professional speaker, uh, an NSA professional speaker? Would you say like, you know, how does that affect their lifestyle or work life balance? Does it include a lot of traveling, or how does that? What's your take on that? Well, my take on it is if you're a good boss to yourself, it's a great life. If you're too hard on yourself and you're a horrible boss to yourself, get out of the business. Uh, so, you know, I, I start with be kind to yourself. Um, uh, for me, I spend a lot of time in my home office. I do a lot of coaching remotely. You know, Zoom and, and Skype are my friends. Uh, I, I'm doing my part to reduce the carbon footprint by not spending as much time on the road as I used to. Mm. And I, I find even for doing programs and presentations, so long as the uh, organ organization has a big screen and a great in-wall sound system, I can deliver programs remotely. So, you know, from that perspective, uh, it, it can be um, lonely and it takes a lot of discipline. The, the antidote to that is surrounding yourself with a community of people like yourself uh, in a supportive environment where we can share ideas and learn. Uh, in addition to NSA, I belong to an NSA mastermind group. Um, the other members are on the East Coast and we we get together uh, by phone a couple of times a month and, you know, we bounce ideas off each other. No, it's so great. And then uh, the other thing I want to kind of touch upon here is uh, the coaching aspect of mm-hmm. your uh, business. And I know that, you know, I was reading through your profile and your website. One of the things that stood out for me, and this is something that I'm always looking out for, uh, you know, out of the box thinking, and that is, you know, as far as your business coaching is concerned, uh, one of the things to you highlight is that you bring a unique perspective based mm-hmm. on your experience and you know in the business and the leadership domain uh, that helps you identify opportunities and obstacles that people may not be aware of like mm-hmm. you know, it could be in a blind spot so my question to you is do you have like a process that uh, is it a process of business coaching that uh, you kind of like uh, used to uh, coach your clients or how does that, what's your typical engagement process look like from start to finish? Yeah, it starts with the screening process. You know, one of the things that I've learned over time is for me, it's a lot more rewarding and for the client, there's a lot more value if they uh, demonstrate uh, humility and and an openness to learn and change their systems. And what I find is there generally are two types of leaders or business owners. One uh, who thinks they have all the answers, yet struggle, um, but aren't open to changing their systems in the way that they do things. And and what I found is it's uh, not only unrewarding for me, but a waste of their time and money to engage. Uh, so I think one of the things about a successful coaching relationship for me is that, uh, and, and it applies on both sides, because I certainly don't have all of the answers all of the time, but uh, 
I, I try to focus on being effective in helping owners work through their problems. And typically, Cal, the the problems are I, I, I don't have the right revenue mix. I don't have the right clients. And um, we're we're not making as much money as we should. Uh, another set of problems focuses around teams and employees. Uh, you know, my turnover is too high. The productivity is low. Uh, too many frowns in the office. Not enough smiles. And, and I get the feeling the employees don't understand what their role is in the company in, in helping to create an awesome client experience that turns a one-time client transaction into a multi-time annuity and you know and, and then the third bucket is I'm working way too long and I'm, I'm highly stressed and this isn't fun anymore and something's got to give and I, I don't know how to get out of this pickle that I've uh, managed to build for myself and if a client has problems in those areas, it's really easy for me. And you know, with respect to process, uh, I don't think there's anybody else in the world that uses the lessons that I've learned from coaching six-year-old boys up to 14-year-old girls in softball and saying, now, here's what happened uh, in this situation, and this is why it's really important if what you're trying to do is build a lifetime client model in your business. Mm. Right? Uh, yeah. Nobody does that. So in, in terms of process, uh, you know, if you're teaching a kid how to hit a baseball, it starts with the introduction of a principle, right? Uh, you're teaching a principle, and then you do a little practice uh, in a very safe environment, and, and you make it incrementally more complex. And then ultimately, you introduce a little bit of pressure. You have uh, live uh, batting practice. And then, you know, it progresses into the game. And then it becomes a lot of rinse and repeat. And in the business world, learning how, as a for example, how to serve clients in a way that makes them want to come back for more and how to create a relationship that's so powerful and so valuable that clients want to refer because they have friends who were in the same pain that they were in, and they want their friends to get the help that they got, right? Uh, so in, in terms of process, I always go back to the kids, and, and it's amazing when, when I humbled myself to figure out, well, gosh, how can I best serve these kids in a way that would create an experience where they would want to come back and play next year? You know, when that became the focus, as opposed to, I'm this coach, and I'm going to coach these guys, and you know, we'll see how it goes, uh, the, the difference was astounding. No, that's so great, really great, and I, you know, I really can uh, see the the curve, the graph of learning as you were sharing here, and I think I, I don't know what book that came from, but there are like four levels of learning that people normally go through. It's like, you know, when you start screening a client and you start looking at uh, the challenges they are having or deconstructing uh, what works and what doesn't work, it's really you're highlighting, you know, what's the unconscious incompetence that the business is facing, and right. then you kind of like throw some light on it, so that becomes a conscious incompetence, and then you kind of like slowly, steadily work with them that now they become competent at it, that conscious competence. And then finally, the fourth stage or the final stage that we should all aspire to be is the unconscious competence. That is, it just becomes second nature. It's a new habit, new principle, new distinction that's been fully integrated as part of our business or as part of our life. Now, that's really brilliant, brilliant. Uh, are there any other examples you could give us about uh, a little league principle that... Uh, 
uh, could be transferred over into uh, a profit for a company? Sure. So, um, you know, one short story. Uh, the, one of the things that I learned uh, very early on and, and applied it ultimately to uh, constructing a book at, at the beginning of the season, and I think the boys were eight years old when I finally figured it out. Uh, you know, if, if you want to create a great season for the kids, ask them what they want from the season, right? And it, it's no different than asking a client what they want. So after the first practice, I handed out every kid on the team a three by five card and I had them write down what their goals were for the season. And and, you know, a lot of the responses are the same. I want to be a pitcher. You know, I want to be the cleanup hitter. I want to play shortstop. And all, all that's pretty easy. But there is this kid, Henry, who wrote on his card, I want to be a hero. Wow. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cool. So we had a little conversation about that. I said, Henry, tell me, what does that mean? He says, oh, it's easy, coach. Uh, you know, all I want to do is get the game-winning hit uh, and have my mom and dad in the stands. And I want everyone in the stands to be cheering for me. And I thought, you know, that's a great goal. And, and if we can work on that over the season and get there, wouldn't that be a great season? Hmm. Wouldn't that be a great season? And to make a, a long story short, Henry actually did have that moment in the playoffs where he got his first hit of the season uh, and drove a line drive into the outfield. And you know, when the dust settled, he was standing on third base, uh, jumping up and down. And I had tears in my eyes. I was so happy for the kid. And right behind me in the stands were his mom and dad jumping up and down. And it was sheer pandemonium and bedlam. And you know, that was the hero experience that Henry got. And, you know, the, the coaching that I offer to my clients is that wouldn't it be awesome if you could create that type of experience for your clients? And, and if you could, do you think they'd come back for more? Wow. No, I like that. It's like really uh, setting a vision uh, and then like working towards it and like really as a, pro- as a process. And then as a result of all of that, you get raving fans that want to keep coming back for more. Absolutely. And, uh, that's, that's really great. Uh, now, moving on to our next section, and this is the rapid fire round. And this is where I'm going to ask you a bunch of fun questions. Well, it's... Uh, you know, it's the first response that comes to your mind. And, of course, if you want to elaborate on it, feel free to do so. But, again, this is the rapid-fire round. So, Earl, are Let's you ready? Let's do it. Let's go. Okay. All right. So, the first question for uh, you is, what is, who's your favorite music band? Hmm. Beatles come to mind, uh, 60s music, and then Steve Miller Band comes to mind, 1970s. Oh, I like the Beatles. Great. Yeah. And then uh, what's the one thing that you can do that might surprise other people? One-arm push-ups. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. Now, the next question, whose brain would you like to pick? Hmm. I think it'd be kind of fun to pick George Washington's brain. Hmm. And uh, the next question is, if you could be successful in another profession, which would you choose? Oh, definitely professional baseball coach. That's easy. (laughs) And then if you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be? The signing of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, that's uh, that's a great, really great. And then uh, the other question is, the five most important things in life, according to you? Got to start with health, family, friends, contribution, and legacy. Hmm. 
And that's really beautiful. And then the final question within the rapid fire round, and that is, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, what would that be? Smile. Ah, I like that. Awesome. And then moving on to our final section, and this is the wrap-up section. I just got final three questions for you, Earl. And the first one is, what's your current personal business passion project that you're working on and you're looking forward to in the next six months to a year from now? In, in terms of passion project, uh, I, I live in Snoqualmie and uh, serve on the local Chamber of Commerce. And one of the things that Chambers of Commerce really struggle with, I think, is figuring out how to deliver value to the business community. And I raised my hand and offered to teach a business mini academy to chamber members uh, as a complimentary value for their membership. Uh, we're, we're two months into an eight-month mini academy, and a passion project actually will probably turn into a product that will offer companies uh, after th- this is done. So that's, I guess, the, the one thing that I'm working on and also developing peer groups of um, business owners. Oh, it's great. And then uh, is that something that uh, would be available on your website that people can find out more about uh, down the road? Uh, no, that, that's secret sauce stuff now. I decided to <laughs> make it private, and I guess it won't be so secret uh, if you put this out on your podcast. But since you asked, I told you. But no, it's not on the website yet. Okay, all right. But we'll uh, kind of like include the uh, website links and uh, so that people get in touch with you and uh, find out more about the product and uh, things of that nature. Uh, the next question is three things you're grateful for in life today. Uh, Got to go with health again. Um, re- very healthy. Uh, <laughs> I met some friends yesterday, and one of them called me Benjamin Button, if you remember that movie yes, that Brad, Brad Pitt was in. <laughs> yeah, he said, uh, gosh, it's been eight years, and you haven't aged a bit. So health has to be one. Um, also grateful for the patience that I developed and uh the humility to acknowledge the gifts that I've been given and in, in being intentional about figuring out how to share those gifts with others. No, that's great. And then uh, this has been really awesome. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you would you like to share? Um, no, actually, Cal, you're a great interviewer. Um, th- these are in- incredible questions. I had to think on a few of them. Uh, most of them came naturally to me, and I really, really have enjoyed uh, being part of your show. And uh, thank, uh, thank you again for inviting me. My pleasure. And I really want to acknowledge you uh, for a couple of things here is that what an incredible journey and a role model that uh, you are for the community, essentially. I mean, uh, you know, you took on a goal, it seems like early on in your youth to be more patient, and then you've really uh, come a long way with that. And then, and the fact that you have taken on some risks in life, you've been creative with your career as far as transferring your expertise and wisdom from the world of uh, baseball and coaching into business, and you're helping people now really uh, find their uh, true calling and helping their businesses uh, really make a difference out there in the community and and uh, and you know you're using your gifts with humility to serve the community at large and I really want to thank you for that. Well, thank you again for having me. This has been fun. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely. And then one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, and that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? Well, I, I have to share 
uh, an observation. I, I've done a number of radio shows and podcasts, and to my knowledge, you are the only one who's invested the time to do focus group surveys to find out what the listeners want. And I think you're doing a great job of cultivating an audience of people that want answers to the questions that they say they want answers to. And you know, the, the kudos to you is you're giving your audience exactly what they've told you they want. Uh, so, you know, great job. And I'm excited to be part of, is it season four that you're doing as speakers and coaches? Yes, that's right. Yeah. No, yeah. that's, that's great. Thank you so much. Appreciate the feedback, Earl. Uh, really valued our conversation here today. And uh, uh, for those of us who are listening, with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, theglobalcontribution.com. To your friends and colleagues, be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous episodes. This has been a Seven Symphonies production. Join us next time for another edition of the Wisdom of Friends.